Multifamily owners are potentially at risk of being where the hotel industry was in the late 90s and early 2000s. And what I mean by that is one of the greatest mistakes that the hotel industry made was, you know, being stuck in our ways and basically giving an opening to technology disruptors, specifically OTAs, uh, online travel agency. And what happened there is, you know, OTAs ate our lunch and they took um, they took over a, a significant portion of our distribution and it was tough to get it back. And so as leases become more compressed and sales cycle changes because of these changing tenant demands, these internet aggregators and technology has potential of, of also having that same effect on multifamily. And I think if there's one sort of great lesson learned from the hospitality industry is, is don't do what we did, right? Don't sort of sit easy on your hands and say that, you know, I'm always going to have the ability to rent at a certain dollar because... You know, uh, my apartment is what my apartment is, right? Uh, I think um, the world is moving too rapidly for that to be the case. Welcome to the A Fire podcast, now streaming on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. Does a single geographic location matter as much today? as it did before. And if it doesn't, what should owners of real estate do about it? If, if proximity itself is worth less, what do we do? What about that apartment building that's being sold based on its awesome location? What do we do? These are tough questions brought on by a lot of change that's going on right now. And Ernest Lee, Managing Director of Americas for Citizen M Hotels, has a few ideas to help answer those questions for multifamily owners and operators. And, and he recently wrote an article called Influencing Multifamily for the summer issue of AFIRE Summit. And today, he's sharing some of those ideas with us on the show. So thank you, Ernest, for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. No, Gunnar, uh, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I've been a frequent listener of the podcast, so it's uh, truly an honor to be a guest as well. Well, thank you. I, I'm so glad that uh, you listen. Um, but let, let, let's back up and, and, and talk a little bit about some of the ideas from your article. Uh, people's lives, as you have pointed out, are changing and changing dramatically. Um, how is that changing what they do with real estate and what their priorities are? And how do we need to respond? Yeah, so um, I think where we really are, and I think you know, hopefully most would agree within real estate circles, is we're basically at an inflection point when it comes to work. More specifically, answering the question, where does work get done? And so you know, we are now going into year two of remote non-normal work and you know the longer that we go on the harder it's going to be to return right and i think this is relevant to the apartment world because most renters make commitments based on work right they're typically married to cities because that's how they've historically earned a paycheck and when renters no longer are married to these cities because where you live and where you work may or may not be as connected, then maybe that commitment that the apartment world 
has always been reliant on is a little bit more tenuous. And so the core business model of traditional apartments that's always been based on longer one, two-year commitments maybe comes back into question. So you're talking about longer commitments for those who stay in hotels um, or shorter commitments for those in apartments. Um, can you explain a little bit what that boundary line is between the two of them and, and how those lines are blurring? Yeah, so I think we've already seen a lot of blurring before the pandemic and the pandemic will only accelerate it. And so, you know, I think the blurring as defined by the last, call it development cycle, multifamily became more hotel-like by, I'm talking in the big cities, mostly engaging in amenity wars, right? Bigger gyms, rooftop decks, media rooms, swimming pools. What I see happening now is because we're probably going to see greater shifts in maybe some of these tenant needs, multifamily owners may begin to reassess the business model or the, the, the leasing model in which they've always sort of come to be relying on. So tenants wanting shorter commitments and as such, the multifamily lease terms taking on a lot more operational complexity like a hotel. Okay, so that means we are going to see leases that are much shorter than a year. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's where the tenant demand is going and how the multifamily ownership community reacts is really up to them. Yeah. Well, you, you talked about the creator economy, as you called it in your article. What is that? And, and how do you think the creator economy changes market tenant demand even further? I think the definition of the creator economy has, has broadened over the years. But you know, to me, it's really the connection of people who create content, goods, and provide skilled services and sell them directly to fans and consumers over the internet and no longer through intermediaries. So this can mean um, the former New York Times writer that goes to Substack and you know, basically starts a subscription newsletter or a pastry chef that used to work at Le Barnardin and they ship cakes over Instagram now. Right? So I, I think the, the possibilities and, and the, the, the pathway for the creative creator economy and how large it could get is, is really limitless. And I think why this is really important within real estate circles is that it, it's really just the numbers, right? Most of these people who are part of the creator economy are self-employed and largely consider themselves freelancers. And if you actually looked at how many Americans consider or characterize themselves as freelancers, it's about 60 million, right? Six zero. So that's one third of the US working population. And furthermore, most of this is within a millennial, younger millennial and Generation Z demographic that lend themselves to being mostly renters. So when you see these tenant demands and these trends change, because of this potential geographic reshuffling, right? You could work from anywhere, then you could potentially live anywhere, then the needs need to change and the apartment and multifamily owners need to react because that population becomes much more transient like a hotel guest. So I'm hearing transients, I'm hearing potentially different kinds of needs from the physical asset itself um, and location not having the same value as before. Is that an accurate kind of reflection of, 
of, of what you're thinking at this point. Yeah, I, I think the whole notion of being co-located or being anchored to a city because of uh, uh, employment is definitely um, at risk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, so there has been a lot of discussion amongst the multifamily community of, of owners and operators around becoming more hotel-like in their amenities, certainly, and in, in terms of their service and our approach to operations. Um, but what are they missing? What do you think they need to think about now? You know, the, 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 the more modern apartment buildings are really impressive when you see all the things that people are doing, and they do feel more and more like a hotel. Um, but what are they missing? Yeah, so... Uh, it's a good question, Gunnar. Um, I think, you know, within this audience and, you know, most members of AFAR, who I think of as highly sophisticated groups investing in, you know, the top quality assets around the world, there's wide acceptance, as you mentioned, that apartment buildings are becoming more operationally intensive. That said, the biggest disconnect that I see amongst owners is where they emphasize between, call it hardware and software. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Hardware, in a real estate sense, meaning the design and the amenities, right? The physical things. Um, and the problem with hardware is, you know, you engage in these amenity wars and you basically have the shiny new toy until you don't, right? So the competitive advantages that you get by doing that are shorter term. Now, while these are probably effective in, you know, sales and driving leasing, they don't necessarily translate into tenants staying or releasing, right? And so this is where the software part kicks in. And these are the softer parts of your business, which is um, driving community, right? Cultivating relationships amongst tenants and staff, uh, programming, reducing friction in the leasing process, or even creating some sort of loyalty mechanism, right? So as we see lease terms get compressed, I think the software side of the business needs to play a bigger part because, you know, that's where customer acquisition costs and turnover of tenants will continue to put pressure on the margins of real estate owners. That's interesting. I mean, certainly the amenity wars that multifamily have been going through for decades now have become expensive, uh, certainly in some markets. Um, I, I'm, I'm still struck by a survey I looked at easily eight, nine years ago uh, that suggests that most tenants, the one thing that attracted them to the building that they're in was not the swimming pool or the, the dog wash or the media room or whatever it was. I know someone else in the building. Um, and I don't know if, you know, I think a lot of people are trying and there's a lot of, you know, really kind of uh, thought provoking kind of attempts that have been made and some of them more successful than others. But I wonder if as an industry, if we're doing a good enough job of creating that opportunity for people to know each other it's harder to leave if your closest friend is down the hall um, kind of idea. Um, so creating a flexible lease term, uh, it's hard. We've been doing the same kind of leases for a long time. How can we, what is it that hospitality does to have flexibility and stays, but still keeps their revenue up, still keeps their, their rooms filled? Um, what is it that, that we can learn from what you guys have been doing? Yeah, I, and I can't say that you know what we do, um, which is you know basically like the airline business, have a, a fully dynamically priced model is is going to be appropriate for everyone. But you know there's downside and upside to that. 
I, the trade-off is is you know when, when times are good you could yield and that upside is there for you but on the other end there's going to be a much deeper floor right um, just look at the hotel business over the last year so what I see some of the more forward-thinking multifamily owners doing is basically mimicking what um, full-service hotels do in terms of building up a pyramid of occupancy with different lease terms, right? So at the bottom, you could have traditional leases, right? They're lower rated, uh, but longer commitments, um, and they basically make up a nice foundation for you. And you balance that with maybe a second tranche of medium-term leases, say six months, and then a third tranche of true short-term rentals, right? 30 to 90 days. And I think what that allows owners to do is, is you have a mix of downside protection and also opportunities to yield, especially during these times of, of compression where you really, really have tight and low vacancy rates, um, and also potentially attract non-traditional or higher rated residential business like um, corporate apartments, for example. We're in the middle of a housing shortage and one that's gonna continue for another 10 years, perhaps, uh, just because of the demographics, unless we start building a lot. And as we look at the shortage of housing of, of all kinds, not just affordable, but uh, middle-class housing, upper middle-class housing, um, there's gonna be a lot of pressure for us to figure out ways to um, house people. And, and part of that, I wonder if the hospitality industry can be part of that, especially hosp hospitality that's having trouble. Uh, it, you know, what other segments are having trouble keeping their rooms full? Do you see a, a scenario where hotels or some hotels might say, you know what, we're going to start doing more extended stay. We're going to have that more in our portfolio and start meeting multifamily uh, somewhere in the middle, or or is that? Are you absolutely locked into where you are and not going to move? No, I, I think you've already seen a number of um, of startups raise money based on that thesis, which is uh, converting hotels into um, the true sort of um, uh, residential or residential-like uh, uh, sort of business model. Um, you know, at Citizen M, even last year, we we launched a product that was called Global Passport, which was basically an unlimited all-you-can-stay pass uh, any hotel in the world. Um, and we had very strong demand. So there's clearly um, a customer desire uh, to, uh, to live in an alternative manner like that. And I think you'll probably see more and more of that from my fellow peers within the hospitality industry to capture this sort of more nomadic type of guest. Mm -hmm. And, and some of those are creators, it seems, as well, those nomadic Correct. guests. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so where do you think, I mean, if, if you were to put your longer term glasses on, uh, we're in the middle of the, the crisis of change right now, but what, what do you think things are going to look like or what can you imagine in 10 years, the kind of housing business, the multifamily and, and uh, hospitality business might look like? Yeah, I think, you know, what you're going to see um, over time is, is you know, a true sort of convergence, right? And it's going to be hard to differentiate the two because um, both asset classes are going to be overlapping in terms of segmentation. Um, you're going to have apartment buildings that you walk into and you're going to say, hmm, am I in a hotel or am I in, a, in an apartment building? 
and you're going to have the same feeling when you walk into a hotel. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing for the consumer. I think that's a good thing from a socioeconomic standpoint because it does sort of relax or relieve the, the tensions within housing. And um, I, I think, you know, overall, as long as both uh, ownership groups are um, seeking, um, uh, you know, the sort of uh, seeking to, to meet tenant demand and the psychographics that are, are changing from this pandemic, I think that's, that's a good win for everybody. And, and it's, it's, not, it's not so strange. I mean, it's something, it, it's basically the 19th century, we were, apartments and hotels were pretty interchangeable, uh, quite often the same thing. So it's not like we haven't even been there before. We, we, we've done this, uh, not, not you and I, obviously, uh, <laughs> we're not that old, but it, it, it was here at the turn of the century, uh, especially in places like New York, uh, where people would live for years in a hotel, um, but it was kind of an apartment, but it was kind of a hotel. Um, wonderful kind of blurring of the lines that's, that's happening there. What are you most excited about um, as you look at the next few years? Yeah, I think, you know, what, I, what I'm excited about is um, from a real estate standpoint, the, um, the sharing of best practices uh, between hotel operators and multifamily owners, uh, especially when it comes to providing um, highly unique and strong experiences that really cater to, to tenants. Um, uh, you know, because of this blurring, I think, you know, the, the types of positions and types of skills that you need within multifamily are, are going to, you know, differentiate and also, um, increase, uh, from, from, you know, sort of stealing from the, the best and also the worst of the hotel world, right? Lessons learned as well. Um, uh, and being able to translate that into a, a highly sort of dynamic and customer friendly type of product that with all due respect to my fellow, uh, to any multifamily owners, but you know, apartments have never been known for that, right? They've been always known for a high friction process. And I think becoming more customer friendly or looking at themselves as a consumer product is something that I'm uh, looking forward to as part of the future of residential. And, and I think to a certain extent, this has been the last few years, even before COVID has been a big learning process for, for multifamily in great part because uh, Airbnb and others are turning them into hotels. Um, and some of them are trying to stop it, and, you know, have some rules around that. But, but even so, I mean, it's really showing that that friction is something that we need to, we need to deal with. Uh, no matter what the, the industry looks like, we need to understand there's friction there that, that the tenant does not want anymore um, and is not willing to put up with. Uh, not when they can get themselves a place to live on their phone and, and move in. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a different ball game at this point. Um, so what do you think we, or, or at the very least, what do you tell yourself, if not what you think other people should do in terms of, uh, what to watch out for, what to be careful about? I mean, we always have to talk about risk, right? We're in the real estate business. So what, you know, what are the things that we need to keep our eye on as multifamily and hospitality continue to evolve um, that could trip us up if, if, if we're yeah, not careful. I, I, I'd like to see, um, I'd like to see the multifamily business, um, you know, at least take some cues from the hospitality industry in terms of how we've begun to evolve and measure ourselves. Um, one of the ways that I, I think, you know, changing that mindset from purely a real estate business to one that's 
you know, one foot in real estate to one foot in an operating business or like a consumer product is, is you know, for example, some of the metrics in which we define as success. Um, so, you know, within multifamily, maybe not just focus on rent per foot or vacancy rates or IRR, but also focus on things like customer lifetime value, you know, churn rate, um, customer acquisition costs, and, and really focus on, on being as tenant friendly as possible, because if you, you know, maybe I'm being a little too simplistic in, in saying this, but if you focus on the, the customer and their needs, then you will be reward, rewarded as, as an owner and as an investor. Well, um, I, I could probably uh, ask you questions all day long um, and, and have you solve all the problems of multifamily. I, I'm going to have to leave it here. We're kind of at the end of our time. But um, and I want to encourage everyone who's listening, if you haven't yet, do make sure you read Ernest's uh, article in the most recent issue, the summer issue of a fire summit um, and maybe even reach out to him um, and see if he can he, he can be our guru uh, and help us figure out the, the road ahead. So thank you, Ernest, for joining me on the a fire podcast. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the A-Fire Podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. A-Fire is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice to this podcast. No content included here is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information, including the A-Fire Podcast, may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable. A-Fire is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in the A-Fire Podcast are those of its respective contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of A-Fire. To learn more about the A-Fire Podcast, including underwriting guest opportunities, visit afire.org slash podcast.